Good morning, this is Bob Hapgood, pastor of Redwood Christian Fellowship in Fortuna, California. And uh, we are adhering to this shelter-in-place mandate from the state of California uh, in reference to the coronavirus that's going around. And uh, so we are not meeting at our church today, but we are still putting this message out uh, to be our Sunday morning message. And we'll be putting it out on our website, uh, Red Root Christian Fellowship Fortuna, and also on our uh, site on Facebook as well. And so, uh, we'll uh, join me in prayer as we begin, please. Father, we thank You that we can meet together even in this peculiar way. And uh, we ask, Lord, that Your Word goes out, ministers, encourages, lifts up, leads, convicts, saves. And uh, we bring this time to You and ask that You would uh, minister to all of us, that Your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds as we share this time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 10. And uh, I think the simplest way to look at the, the chapter 10 would be to say it's a contrast of the way of the wise and the foolish. And uh, as I read it, you'll see much of that in its place. Uh, chapter 10, starting with the first verse. Dead flies make the perfume's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the, to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince, princes feast in the morning. Happy or blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Though sloth, through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens uh, uh, and wine gladdens life. 
and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. So that's the tenth chapter of Ecclesiastes. And again, it's basically a number of what would be, I think, typically called a series of Proverbs in the middle of Ecclesiastes, uh, dealing with the way of the wise and the foolish as it's contrasted. Um, I'm not going to, to elaborate on every verse, but I, there's a couple that I wanted to draw attention to. And certainly the first verse, dead flies make the perfumer's ornament give off a stench. What is the picture here is that something very small can ruin something uh, of, of importance or, or of, of a larger size. This the perfume, by the way, isn't like what we think of perfume in bottles uh, that you go down to the department store or to the drugstore and you spray a little spray and you know get a little scent. But this kind of perfume would be a body ointment. It would be mixed in large quantities. And it says the dead flies will make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. And notice, I noticed a lot of commentators were saying a dead fly. It says dead flies, multiple. And uh, what it is is that the dead the flies are apparently attracted to the aroma of what's being made in the, in the way of this body uh, perfume. And the, uh, they fly over it and end up dying in it. And it says it ruins the ointment. The stench is terrible. And so the, you could say as dead flies make the perfume's ointment give off a stench, you could say as so, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Something small, like flies, folly, just it takes only a little to mess up everything. If you were to drop back to chapter 9, verse 18, you would, you would read, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. One fool outweighs wisdom and honor, is what is the major contrast here. A wise man's heart, verse 2, inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, this has nothing to do with politics. Right, left, etc. has nothing to do with making right-handed people or left-handed people, if you pointed out. What it says is they're going to go in opposite directions. One goes to the right and one goes to the left. However, within the culture of the Hebrew culture, when we look at the Hebrew culture, the right side is the place of honor, the seat of honor. In fact, when we see Jesus uh, talking about the sheep and the goats and, and, and this, he says the 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 sheep are put to the right and the and the goats to the left, uh, so it has to do with a cultural picture as well. But the idea of, of uh, most important here is that there's a contrast, the opposite directions. So we say here that a wise man heart inclines him to the right, and in, in an opposite way, the fool's heart to the left. And uh, when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. And so this picture of a fool is that he stands out. He can be seen. He is known. He's obvious. Verse 10 of chapter 10, it says, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must, be, he must use more strength. And so, again, he's saying that a fool would just go ahead and pick up his, his axe, chop his wood, never check to see if it's sharp or not. And, and 
put an edge on it. Uh, and as a result, he has to work harder. And a wise man, uh, it says, but wisdom helps one to succeed or wisdom is an advantage for success. The, the wise person takes an extra moment, sharpens his axe before he chop, chops the wood and succeeds in doing a, a more efficient job on a quicker scale with less effort. And this, uh, I recognize this, uh, you know, because I, working in a wood shop, which I've done for years, uh, if you take the time to make sure that the, the tools you're using are sharp, everything goes so much smoother. And so the, I put in my notes here, a blunt tool versus a sharp tool goes down to being in a hurry versus taking a little bit of time at first and ultimately getting the job done more efficiently, faster in the long run. And so that's what we're basically saying is, is, is again, this idea of a contrast. The fool doesn't think twice about things. He just blunders ahead. And, and the contrast to that of a wise person is that he would take the time to do something right ahead of time to make the job overall better and easier. Um, in this series of contrasts, there's uh, three verses that I want to look at specifically uh, today. Uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. And uh, I'd like to read them again uh, to you. Um, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly, and the end of it is wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen, and who can tell him what will come after him. I want to focus on these verses this morning because I think our words are important. In fact, I wrote into, again in my notes, how important are our words? Uh, and for me to see this clearly, I needed to backtrack uh, a little bit and, and, and mention verses that we have mentioned prior to this in other messages. Uh, but it says, you know, what distinct, uh, my thing was first off to come to the idea of what distinguishes a wise person from a foolish person. And a wise person, according to uh, Proverbs, uh, the book just before Ecclesiastes, uh, is uh, a fair, very familiar verse to m many people. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, a wise person, according to Scripture, is one who starts the starting of wisdom. The very beginning of it is the idea of the fear of the Lord. And this idea of the fear of the Lord is recognizing the God of all creation. To not, not so much to fear in trembling, although we, should be, we, we would be in awe of His majesty. And there would be a sense of trembling if we were to, uh, at the point we'd see Him face to face. The idea is that... We are to fear Him in the sense of recognize who He is. He is the authority. He is the final word on all things. And so a wise person recognizes this. God is the final authority. He is sovereign over all things. He's the creator of the universe. A foolish person 
is also defined in Scripture, uh, going one, uh, one book further back, is, is Psalm 51, uh, verse 1, says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast mercy, according to the abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And I realize I just read the wrong verse. 53.1, excuse me. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable, abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. The, so again, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So there's no fear of God in the fool. It's important you grasp this because this would be where Solomon would be coming from as he's using the word fool and folly and foolishness. And, and as he's using wisdom, he's looking at the man that wisdom begins with the fear of God. So, as we look at that, how important are our words? Uh, this is my focus this morning. And, and what I would like to share with you is, again, verse, starting with the uh, verses uh, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, the, the first verse says that, you know, again, the words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious while his lips of a fool consume him. And some look at that idea of the lips of a fool consume him as the idea of that that it eats him up. I've even used I even heard the the expression of it would be a word that you would use of a cannibal eating himself, which would be as foolish as he could get. But I really believe that the word consume here is to mean to obsess him. He is obsessed with his words. So we can look at that and say uh, his lips consume him. He he can't. You know, he, he, he has to talk. He has to speak. Whether he knows anything about what's being said, he's going to add his, his two cents worth no matter what. He, it consumes him. He needs to speak out. And verse 13 says, His sayings run the, you know, the gamut from folly to wicked madness. Uh, one commentator put it, everything produces after its kind. That is a product of creation. And so it is with a fool. A foolish man produces foolish talk. The more he speaks, he goes from folly, which is basic foolishness, to wicked madness, which is obsessive foolishness. It's not merely that his words are empty. If they were really empty, they would do little harm. Instead, they are full of deadly poison. That's what James in chapter 3 talks about. It says the, the word in chapter 3, 8 that the words of a person can have poison in them. They can, they can have venomous uh, uh, intent towards someone. And then it says he multiplies his words. So I put here, and again in my notes, the more words spoken and written... Uh, tends to, to, to cause him to speak even more. And it is interesting. We're in a time of, of, of culture where we, through our technology, we have more words spoken, written, uh, texted, <laughs> put on our, our, our phones, put on our computers, uh, thanks to technology, and, and yet it has not made men any more wise. We still have this great division that Wise men seek after the, uh, the face of God. They fear the Lord. And, and it is the Lord, the God of Scripture, that is reflected through Jesus Christ who came to reveal the Father. Uh, and so, 
we understand that, that it's a narrow group of people that are considered wise. And, and in spite of all the technology and all of the words, the, word tends to, the world tends to follow after folly rather than after wisdom. Jesus had some things to say about our words, and it's important to, to look at that. In the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 12, Jesus uh, had uh, uh, healed uh, a man, and uh, the leaders of the, of, of the Jewish people came and, and uh, uh, basically uh, came against him, if you will. And in chapter 12, verse 33, uh, Jesus said to them, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. He's speaking to the the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of, of, of the Jewish people. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You got to understand they were they were challenging Jesus' right to to uh, heal and even calling him demonic in some cases, and so uh, he says, uh, "For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil." And then this important uh, couple of verses: "I tell you, on the day of judgment." People will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So we come back to this picture. How important are your words? Uh, Jesus says they're very important. Your words will either justify you or condemn you in the sense of, of whether you were a person of faith seeking after the face of God or whether you were sickly a, a, a typical person in the world and, and using Solomon's picture in, in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, living in the world under the sun. S-U-N, under the sun. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 gives us some direction uh, as to how we are to, to treat each other and how we are to use words. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 if you have your Bibles. Uh, verse 29. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, you could even look at the next couple of verses. Therefore, be imitators of God. Verse chapter five, verse one. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So. The words, you know, Paul is telling the Ephesians, you know, make sure that your, your words are words that build up and lift up. 
Don't let corrupting words come out of your mouth. Don't let condemning words come out of your mouth. But words of thanksgiving that are tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. And and so uh, words for guilt are that for building up is the thing I wanted to focus on. How important are your words? Well, Paul says our words are to be used to build up each other. How often can you think in terms of? By the way, that's not just face to face. That is also when you're talking about someone when they're not present. In other words, when you are, are you do you have the uh, uh, the habit of speaking of people in a positive, building them up sort of way, or when someone's not present that uh, has offended you, maybe in some way, and you haven't got it settled yet, or maybe just someone that you don't particularly care for, and you say, "Oh yeah, that person." You know, is you know, and you say something unkind. Quite candidly, that puts you in the foolish category. We are to speak words of of encouragement, and that is even when we're not face to face with the people that we're speaking of or speaking about, and also words of encouragement in general. Uh, in our in our times that we're speaking today, where where politicians and politics are at such odds with each other. It's very easy to find people speaking ill of various people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats and, and this type of thing, and, and looking at, at the other political group as, as ignorant or, or foolish. And in some cases, I've heard some people that take extreme positions where if you hold one particular political position, you might not even be saved. You know? and, and so we look at these types of things and realize that, that that's not a Christian position. Christian position is to speak of words of encouragement, lifting up. And when we can't, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. My grandmother repeated that I don't know how many times to me growing up. And I still think it's true today. We want to speak words that justify, build up, encourage. Uh, walking in love and, the, and, 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 and being imitators of God. Paul's thought on what uh, really uh, speaks uh, in reference to to what is wise. Again, remembering that a, a fool doesn't 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 desire to know God. A wise man fears God. In First Corinthians chapter one, speaks about wisdom. So First uh, Corinthians chapter one, and we'll be looking at the eighteenth verse. Paul writes, for the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, those who have refused to seek the face of God and to follow after God. So, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now, what Paul is saying here not is, is that... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And we would have to put in there to distinguish uh, from what uh, Solomon has been talking about in Ecclesiastes, the worldly wise. In other words, wise outside of the things of God. Worldly wise. Uh, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Uh, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Of course, in the culture of the Hebrew people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers would be 
the, the wise people. He says, where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, through wisdom it's pleased God, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what, what, what Paul would be saying there is to seek the face of God, to be fear of God. He's agreeing with Solomon's proverb, uh, chapter 9, verse 10, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And God has revealed His wisdom through Jesus Christ and what He has done. And so we come to that point that what the world is calling folly, God is saying they're calling it folly because of their gone the wrong way. They've gone the left way rather than the right way. They've gone the opposite way of God. And so, he can ask, where is the wise? Again, the worldly wise. Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom... uh, 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 Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And that's where we come up again with that picture, the worldly wisdom. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God. The world did not know God through its own worldly wisdom. And it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And again, the folly of what we preach according to the way the world would look at it. They say what foolishness is, is the adherence to the Scriptures. It's just a, a, a historical reference. Uh, for Jews, you know, they look for science. Greeks, Greeks it says they look for wisdom. The Greeks prided themselves on their wisdom, and yet their wisdom was folly because it ignored the truth of God. But we preach Christ crucified. That's the wisdom of God. To those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God. Paul's thoughts are clear here. God has revealed Himself through Jesus Christ. He has brought salvation to us through Jesus Christ as that is what we preach, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are preaching, teaching the wisdom of God. The world will call it foolishness, but it is the wisdom of God. And as a result, it is what is true wisdom. Wisdom that begins with fearing the Lord. And so my question was, how do I become wise? Well, again, if Proverbs 9.10 is true, the, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then, you know, and, and God tells, uh, tells us that the power of God is the wisdom of God, uh, here in, the, in this scripture of uh, 1 Corinthians, then we look at the cross and we realize that is what Paul is pointing out to us. The word of the cross, folly to the world, but to us it's being saved, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Do I believe this? Well, yes. I believe it. Then, in the midst of the chaos of the world today, and especially right now that we are in, 
how do I go about this? How do I show this? Scripture is clearly telling me to look, to trust in God, to see me through all things. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that, by using Scripture. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Again, very familiar verses. This is Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with the 25th verse. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They are neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. We're called again not to be anxious. And I, it takes me back to what I've already shared from Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking words of encouragement to other people. We're not to be anxious. We're not to be afraid. We're to say, my God is sovereign. He is in control. No matter what is going on in the world around me, I can rest with the confidence that the God of all creation will provide my every need according to His purpose. And so, in wisdom, I rest in that truth. In wisdom, a wise person is going to say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. His righteousness is revealed through Jesus Christ. So, we are saying, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His salvation, His, his coming to uh, earth and in the flesh, uh, His tabernacling or dwelling amongst us, His His walk with us, His growing in us, uh, growing in this world, his, his sinless life, His teachings, and His death, burial, and resurrection that brings us salvation. These are the things we're to focus on. This is what a wise person truly does. That's the beginning of the fear of the Lord. Resting in His promise. Resting in His truth. Resting in His plans. And adding to it with this idea, don't be anxious. God's sovereign. He will provide for you according to His purposes. I've kept this message brief because uh, I know people listening to it, uh, it's different than seeing something in, purpose, in person. And uh, uh, 
it's easy to get distracted by things that are going on that get interrupted, especially when you're listening to something at home. So what I would like to do is to, to close in prayer and encourage you. Uh, share this, uh, tell other people about this, but I know other churches as well are doing the same thing we're doing. And so uh, be aware that, that there are, through other churches you can be listening to, to the same to messages in place of worship services at the churches. And so uh, I'd ask that as we, we close together, if you would join me in prayer, please. Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your grace. The grace that includes the forgiveness of sin and the reality that we can rest in You in all things. The, the, the promise that all things work together for good for those who rest in Christ Jesus. Your promise of eternal life. The picture in Romans chapter 8. We are joint heirs with Jesus. The fact that through Jesus Christ and, and our salvation, if we believe in our, in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the God, that we can rest with absolute confidence that Romans 8.1 applies to us and that it is a fact. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your words, Lord. And so I would ask that You would put into our hearts as we... we have these times where uh, many of us are not going to be at work. We're kind of stuck in our homes, maybe out for a jog or out for a walk, but keeping a space between us and other people uh, that we can meditate on You, Lord, and dwell on the awesomeness of who You are. I think of Psalm 19, 14, uh, Psalm 19 verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We come to You and ask, Lord, that as we draw close to You, You would, would reveal Yourself to us in Your Word. Encourage, strengthen, and give us the desire to want to meditate on Your Word and, and to take advantage of these um, uh, times where uh, other things are, are un, we're unable to do other things that we regularly do. Maybe to take the opportunity to use some of that time to, to study Your Word and to meditate on Your Word. I think of... Of, of Psalm 1 and, and the, the picture that that creates for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or in the counsel of the world, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And you tell us that this person will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And, and uh, this idea of he prospers, he pleases God. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word that encourages. Be with us. Cause us to be people who are building up one another. And also as the church, uh, being aware of what's going on around us and, 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 and watching carefully for those who might be in need and, and, and need a, a helping hand from us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.